You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our text this afternoon is 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verses 1 through 13. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. They are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as is the As in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Our text this afternoon is Second Timothy chapter 3, the verses 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, The text that we have before us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and perhaps some more verses, will be the text that the elders will be using this year as their theme, as they go throughout the congregation visiting all the members in their home visits. 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17, is a passage that's very much focused on Scripture and on the importance of Scripture for all things in your life, and it gives us much to consider as we consider the importance of the Scriptures, of the Bible, of the Word of God for our lives. We have much to talk about this afternoon. And you will have much to talk about when the elders come and visit your homes. Don't expect a short home visit this year, because there's a lot in here. And we need to get to that shortly. But before we do, there's one thing that needs to be absolutely clear. It needs to be absolutely clear in our minds 
Otherwise, we will completely miss the point with this passage. You see, as Paul writes to Timothy, he's intent that Timothy would remain grounded in the scriptures. Grounded in the scriptures. But Paul isn't merely concerned that Timothy would remain grounded in the scriptures. Well, because Timothy's a Christian and, and that's what Christians do. The Bible's supposed to be important to them. And so they really ought to read it every once in a while. It's fairly easy to slip into that mentality that where the Bible is just something that we think is important because a lot of people have told us that it's important and we kind of know that it should be a big part of our lives because we're Christians after all and and the Bible tells us about Christ. But in fact, it's far more urgent, far more serious than that. Paul's urging Timothy to remain grounded and to grow in the scriptures because it is vitally and urgently necessary. If he doesn't remain grounded in the scriptures, then he's no good to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. If he doesn't remain grounded in the scriptures, he will get caught up with the false teachers, with the womanizers, with the exploiters who are going around in the church in those days And taking advantage of people. If he doesn't remain rooted in scriptures, he will be described as in the beginning of chapter 3. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive. And goes on in a very long list of vices. The scriptures have been life for Timothy. Ever since he was an infant, he has grown up in them. They have guided him in the path of truth in his ministry. And he needs to remain grounded in them if there is to be a future for Timothy in ministry. And we need to remain grounded in the scripture if there is to be a future for us in the kingdom of God. And the church needs to remain grounded in scripture if there is to be a future in which we will continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glory of God to this world. And so this text and this sermon, this year's home visits, it's not just about giving you a gentle nudge in the right direction, just reminding you Scripture's fairly important. Don't make sure you don't lose that one. No, this is vitally and urgently important for all of us, lest we perish. We are called to serve God in a challenging world. There are many challenges that face us. And so to, the way to meet the challenges that this world brings us is to grow in the Holy Scriptures. That's our theme this afternoon. The way to meet the challenges of this world is to grow in the Holy Scriptures. Because Scripture has trustworthy teachers and guides, powerful potential, a spiritual source, God himself, and ubiquitous use. More on what the word ubiquitous means when we get there. So first of all, Scripture has 
trustworthy teachers. And as you can tell from our reading, especially the verses 6 through 9, there are a lot of untrustworthy teachers going around in the church in these days. Paul mentions them in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Peter, 2 Peter, especially Jude, mentions these false teachers who are going around in the church who are taking advantage of people, who are preaching false doctrines, who are leading people astray, who are taking their money, who are making a mess of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it goes out into the world. These sorts of people are all around Timothy, and no doubt some of these people are actually fairly close to him. That's who Paul's warning against. He's warning against people within the church who stand up against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Timothy has to be on his guard. And how is he going to navigate through this sea of of false teachers while Timothy, Paul reminds him, has had good role models? People who have modeled with the integrity of their lives the integrity of Scripture. Their lives have been living testimony of what Scripture says and of what they have taught about the Scriptures and the Holy Gospel. And Paul urges Timothy, hang on to those trustworthy teachers like a rope to an anchor in a sea of false teachers and hypocrites and philanderers. You see, Paul has been one of these teachers for Timothy. He has very intentionally been this for Timothy as well as for others. You can think of 1 Corinthians 4 when the Apostle Paul said to the, the church at Corinth, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. Paul wasn't afraid to say that to them. I urge you to imitate me for the reason I'm sending to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful For this reason, I'm sending you Timothy, my son who I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Paul says, look to my example, because I have been serving Jesus Christ. As he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ himself. But Timothy's example of godliness, in fact, preceded even Paul. His mother Eunice and grandmother Lois, who are mentioned at the beginning of the book, left Timothy with a legacy of faith and godliness. This legacy has been passed down through the generations, rightly and well. From infancy, Timothy has been guided by the godly example of sincere servants of God. And so Paul says, don't forget the good models that you have had in your life. Now, Paul is just mentioning that to Timothy as a fact, but we can certainly draw application from this. And the first one, of course, right in front of us, is that we would draw from and appreciate and thank the Lord for good and godly role models in our lives. To remember them. Don't forget their example. And to learn from them. Paul said, learn from me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Certainly we can imitate 
godly servants of Jesus Christ in our lives. We can seek out people who are on the same journey as us, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, but are ahead of us, have learned already many things on the journey of life. We can seek to learn from them. Learn from their example of bringing together sound doctrine and a godly life. See how they put that together in all of their interactions. And thank the Lord for your parents and for others who have modeled by their lives Christian love and service to you, even from your infancy. Well, that's definitely one application from this. There's the flip side, however, as well, and that is to be a good role model to others. We all need to realize that our lives, the, the way that we live our lives, everything that we do, the integrity with which we, we live and face the challenges of this world, it really matters. It really, truly matters. Not only to ourselves, but also to others, especially those whom God has put under us, whom he's given us authority over. If I were to ask any teacher or parent, employer, do you want to positively impact your children, your students, your employees? Do you want to to impact their lives in a really powerful and positive way? Of course they would say, yes, I do, I do. Of course I do. Well, a good example, the way that you live your life, the way that you serve Jesus Christ with integrity is one of the very best things that you can give to them. It's been said, if you want to be a leader, you have to be on the journey yourself. Imagine a path. Life is a path. We're all on this journey We're all following the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if you want to be a leader for others on this journey, you need to be on the path yourself. Your integrity matters. You have to walk in the way of Jesus Christ himself. If you have any hope of leading others to him. Especially mothers can think of the example of Lois and Eunice. Mothering isn't the most glamorous job in the world. Think of what the Apostle Paul says about the example that Timothy had in his mother and grandmother. And think of the profound impact that the Lord is using you to have on your children. And so Timothy was urged to seek out trustworthy teachers among this sea of false teachers and and untrustworthy people. Hang on to the ones that you know are trustworthy because you've seen their faith in action. But there's more as we move to the powerful potential. Timothy has learned from the examples in his life, but if you go deeper, there's a common source for all of these godly examples. In fact, the most significant thing, certainly, that these these respected teachers and respectable teachers have passed on is a love and respect for God's word. Timothy was hanging on to them like an anchor in stormy seas, but the anchor that they were holding on to themselves was Scripture. That was their guide. That's why Paul continues, you've, you've learned 
Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of. You know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. You know the source of their life as well, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. So yes, character matters. But character matters because it's a confirmation of the truth on which that character is built. It's a confirmation of the unchanging truths of God's word and the power of God's word to transform lives. And so the real power for meeting the challenges that face us in this world, the challenges that face the church, is scripture itself. Because as Paul says, scripture has the power. Scripture is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What does that mean, wise for salvation? Well, probably helpful if we break it up and look at it in parts. And I think it will be helpful, in fact, to start at the end and and work our way backwards. So first, let's consider salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's the message of Scripture. Salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying this message of scripture is crucial to meeting the challenges of the world. Of course it is. This is the message of how God is reconciling the world to himself. Calling his people out of the world. And in fact, renewing and restoring the whole world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is this message? Well, it's a message that we can break down into various parts. The message of salvation is a message, first of all, that God saves. That's the message of Scripture, that God saves. This is how we stand firm in the truth and reach out lovingly to others. God saves. Not the government. Not our spouses. Not ourselves. Not some powerful company. Not some new idea that's going to change the world. God and God alone saves. What does God save us from? The message of scripture again is clear. God saves us from sin. Sin which leads to death. God saves us from death and he does that by overcoming sin. Now this is the real problem of course with the world. The the problem with the world isn't that people are lacking education or they lack opportunities or poverty or negative thinking or corrupt government. Those are symptoms of the problem. The problem is, of course, much deeper than that. The problem with our world is its real and objective guilt. The guilt of sin before a holy God. A world which has rejected God has rebelled against him, and has gone its own way. So the Bible reveals a message that God is a God who saves. And he saves this world from sin leading to death. How does he accomplish this? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came into this world to die for sin, and he rose from the dead to conquer the grave. How does this work of Jesus Christ become meaningful for us? Well, that's what Paul is also mentioning here by faith 
You believe, have faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is the means by which you lay hold of what Christ has already accomplished in his death and resurrection. And when you lay hold of what Christ has done for you in his death and resurrection, then your sins are transferred to him. And his righteousness is transferred to you. And you're able to live eternally with God. Saved from death. Saved from sin. Saved by God for eternal life with him. That's the message of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the message that scripture unanimously teaches. But it doesn't just teach it, Paul says. It makes us wise for salvation. So that's the first part. Wise for salvation. What does that mean? Well, wisdom has to do with practical knowledge. Timothy hasn't just learned the facts of salvation. God saves. Saves us from sin. Saves us through Jesus Christ for eternal life. Okay, I got the facts. No, Timothy has to learn how this salvation impacts his entire life and even how this salvation impacts the whole world. That's being wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why ongoing Bible study is so important. That's why it's so important to grow in the scriptures. It's as you deal with life and as you come up against the challenges of this life that you grow in your wisdom for salvation. Sure, you know that God saves, but what good does that do you when you get a car in a car accident or when you lose your job or when you lose a loved one or when you're facing poverty or when you're slipping into materialism? The scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Ongoing, challenging, deep communal Bible study as a regular part of our lives keeps our eyes open to the realities of life. As we go through life, as we meet these challenges, scripture is right there for us, both as we've learned it in the past and as we continually are confronted with it in our lives. So we come up against these challenges, the challenges of sin and misery and of weakness and struggle. We learn of the grace and forgiveness and discipline and rebuke of the Lord. This is the powerful potential that scripture has, not only to impart salvation, but to teach us how to live out that salvation as we meet the challenges in this world. So this is powerful stuff, this Holy Scripture, powerful stuff. And as Paul moves on in verse 16, he fills in the background and the answer to the question that would come to your mind anytime that someone would make such grand claims as Paul has just made about this powerful for salvation. This thing has the power to save. You're going to say, where does that power come from and how do I know that I can trust it? And so Paul gets to the spiritual source. The spiritual source, which is the Holy Spirit, who is God himself. And so the source of scripture is nothing less 
is no one less than God himself. As Paul says, all scripture is God breathed and is useful. But we'll consider that later. This is why you can trust scripture. Because it's God's word. It's God breathed. God has spoken out all of these words in scripture before us. What does this mean that scripture is God breathed? Well, it means most of all that God is the ultimate author. Yes, he has worked through many human authors over much time in the creation of the scriptures. And Paul, of course, is talking about the Old Testament at this point. But the church very quickly recognized the authority that the apostles had through Jesus Christ. And so the New Testament also we can speak of as scripture. But God is the ultimate author of this scripture. He has worked through all the biblical authors to ensure that every word of the Bible is a word that came from him. Of course, we have translations and we have old documents and there's some work that's involved with that. But we are able to read the word of God, the word that God intentionally has passed on to us for our good. It also means that this scripture is infallible. That means it will not, it does not, it cannot deceive That's the root of that fallible part of the word. It will not deceive. It will not err. All scripture, all scripture from beginning to end is dependable and trustworthy in what it says. You can stake your life on this. Let this be your anchor. It will not let you down. It does not err. It is true in its totality and in its parts. Scripture being God-breathed means, as the Reformers emphasized, four things. It means it's authoritative, it's necessary, it's sufficient, and it's clear. It's authoritative. Scripture, the authority that Scripture comes to our lives with, is the very authority of God himself, because this is God's word. You cannot just ignore this and say, I don't need to believe it. If you confess to serve God, the true God who has revealed himself in scripture, then you must also recognize that this word is authoritative for all aspects of your life and of your doctrine. So it's authoritative. It's also necessary. It's through his word that God creates faith, builds the church, guides us in life. Scripture is absolutely necessary for serving the Lord. We cannot do without it. Scripture is also sufficient. That means that scripture is essentially all we need for life and godliness. We don't need the Pope or some other person who claims to have revelation from God. We don't need the insights of philosophy. We don't need visions. We have the word of God And that's sufficient for all that we need for life and godliness. And finally, it's clear. That's not to say that every passage is equally clear, that you immediately understand what every passage is talking about. But it means that the message of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, is clearly and easily understood 
by all who would humble themselves under this word. If you come to scripture humbly and honestly, the message of salvation through Christ cannot escape you. And the consequence is that you need to repent of your sins and turn to him in faith will stare you right in the face. You cannot ignore it. Scripture is clear. And there's a lot more that we could say about Scripture being God-breathed, but really this is the point. What Paul is saying to Timothy is that, well, well, Timothy has received Scripture, has been taught Scripture by faithful teachers. Even more, he has received these words from God himself. And so with all of these false teachers and false doctrines around him, He has an anchor. He has a rock. He has a solid foundation. And that's the word of God. The very word of God himself. And so Paul finally goes on to tell Timothy that scripture is useful. It's useful. In this spiritual battle that Timothy's in, it's not some big unwieldy club when all he needs is a a nimble dagger, nor is it just a short-range dagger when what he really needs is a big oversized club. No, Scripture is useful for all situations. That's what Paul is saying. Scripture is eminently useful. Scripture is, you might say, ubiquitously useful. That word ubiquitous means widespread or varied or universal. It's useful for all things in life. Scripture is useful, and it needs to be put into use. It's your life's toolbox that contains all that you need serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your roadmap on the road of life. It's your weapon in the fight against sin and evil. It's your manual for relationships, for caregiving, for working. Most of all, it's the revelation of God himself. It's where God reveals himself to us that we might understand more about him. Now, Paul refers to four functions specifically that teacher, that, that scripture has four uses. And notice how these four functions line up with the significant challenges that the church faces. First of all, it's useful for teaching, for teaching, for filling our minds with, with good content and wisdom. Teaching is so important. In these pastoral letters, 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, Titus, in those letters, Paul is very intent on telling these men to continue teaching others about the gospel, continue teaching others about the scriptures. Because teaching is essential for the life of the church. These things need to be passed on from generation to generation. Now, why is that? Well, it's because our minds are like sponges as human beings. Our minds are like sponges. We will learn. We're going to learn something. The question is, for each one of us, what? What are we going to learn? Scripture is useful for filling our minds with the good things of God and his world of of grace and salvation, of life in Jesus Christ and obedience. Scripture is useful for filling our minds with things that are useful. In contrast to so many things in this world, which can fill our mind, but which aren't useful 
for these things. And so none of us can say, oh, the Bible, I, I, I don't go to Bible study because I don't read the Bible. It's too difficult for me. It's too much for me to learn. I'm just a simple person. I need simple things. Or I can't read the Bible for myself. I need to turn to some popular author or something like that to, to teach me what the Bible says. No, we all can come to Scripture and can learn from it. The question for all of us is, what are we going to learn? Scripture is useful for teaching. Second, it's useful for rebuking. And this, of course, makes our world today, our culture, cringe. Who likes rebukes? We don't like those kind of things. But the reality of life in this world and life in the church and life everywhere is that you and I are not always walking on the path that we ought to be walking. That's that's one of the challenges that faces the church. It's full of sinful people. And that's one of the challenges that, that faces the church in the world. It's full of sinful people as well. We're not always walking on the path that we ought to be walking. And what ought to be done to us when we're straying from that path? We ought to be rebuked. Someone ought to say, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't believe that. You shouldn't live that way. That's not how God has taught us to live. That's not what God has revealed to us in his scriptures. We need to be rebuked. We need to be told that's wrong. You need to turn and head back. Scripture is useful for rebuking us. Scripture shows us the path so that we can recognize when we stray from it. Third, Scripture is useful for correcting. So rebuking has to do with how you're living your life. Correcting has to do with what you believe. And it's the same way for what you believe. And bad doctrine, too, is a reality in this world. So how do we correct it? By examining and testing all doctrine in light of Scripture. And so if we disagree, what we need to do is get together and look at God's Word. And see what God's Word has to say about a particular doctrine or a particular point. In the church, there's lots of potential for conflict, disagreement, and arguments But in all of them, what needs to be central is Scripture. We need to allow ourselves to be guided by Scripture so that we can be guided in the way of truth. Yes, so that God can guide us. And fourth, Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. This is critical for God's people. We don't just haul out the Bible every once in a while when somebody says something that we think is wrong. Or we see someone, I don't think they're doing the right thing. I better dust off my Bible and show them what's wrong with it. No, Scripture is useful for training in righteousness. Training is about a lifetime of growing, a lifetime of learning. The training for an athlete isn't done in, in one practice or in one session. If you think that's how you would go on to become a a good basketball player or something like that, then you've got another thing coming. It doesn't work like that. Training is about a long-term, continuous commitment to growth and improvement. That's what athletes subject themselves to over years, over decades. Slowly, their body is transformed, their mind, so that they become effective in the sport that they play. Well, so too with us. 
slowly as we constantly are engaged in scripture, reading it, studying it, learning from it, speaking to others about it, we are being transformed into effective servants of God. Scripture is useful. It is useful. We need to put it to use. Let your Bible be well used. Put scripture to work in your life by attending to it daily, studying it daily, daily, gathering together with others weekly to study God's word. Because the result of that, the result of putting scripture to use is that you and I become useful. That's the goal. That the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Now, there's an interesting question. Who's the man of God here? Who's the man of God? At first, you would say, well, that must be Timothy. He's the man of God. He's the minister there in, in Ephesus. But the way that Paul has been talking here, all scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. That's what Timothy is going to be doing with others. So the man of God must be the others that Timothy is is teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. I think what's going on here is that it's deliberately ambiguous. It's not really clear who this man of God is because it can refer to anyone and it probably refers to everyone. And of course, this was a time when the word man is an, was an inclusive term. We are losing that today. But certainly, we need to understand that that's true here as well. The man of God, the woman of God, every child of God through scripture becomes thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture provides tools for every Christian to be productive in their life of service. The good works are the works that God has called us to in this world, in this world full of evil, full as Martin Luther penned in his hymn, which we'll sing, full of devils. Good works are ones that are done, that are pleasing to God, which seek to strengthen and build up his kingdom, which bring him glory in this world. And the usefulness of the person that's trained by scripture, it doesn't end at any one time. Notice what Paul said to Timothy, from infancy, from infancy, it didn't start in high school or something like that. From infancy, the scriptures have made you wise for salvation. And when does it end? Well, at the end of this letter, Paul, who's in prison, facing death, is going to tell Timothy to bring his scrolls. Bring my scrolls, Timothy, so that I can continue to learn. So that scripture can continue to teach me from birth until death. That's how long scripture is useful for us. And so, brothers and sisters, in light of the challenges that we face in this life, many and various that they are, the way to stand firm and to face those challenges is to grow in the Holy Scriptures. And so let us be a congregation that more and more is characterized by a deep love for God's Word. Let us use Scripture faithfully that we, in turn, might be used by God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.